right, well, we are here live another Monday. Thank you for tuning in to LoveRadioNetwork.com. This is the final authority and your host, Ambassador Everett. Well, the final authority, we air live every Monday. 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. Central Standard Time, and 9 p.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Okay, well, what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and pray. I believe this is part three today on dealing with the biblical accounts of the resurrection of Christ. Part three, so I believe we'll be closing out today, and um, we're going to pray. We'll go over, uh, give you the number to call in for your questions and comments or prayer requests, and uh, we'll go from there. So let's go right into prayer. We're going to dive into it, take advantage of the time, redeem the time, so we can truly indeed glorify the biblical Messiah based upon the final authority, which is the Holy Scriptures as written by the biblical apostles and prophets. Well, let us pray. Father God, once again, we come only in the name and on the perfect merits of thy beloved Son, Jesus the Christ. We come, Father, under the banner of his shed blood. We come, Father, with the faith that we have received through the hearing of the gospel. That faith is in our heart and in our mouth. And we confess with our mouth on the Lord Jesus the Christ, and we rest our faith exclusively upon his death, shed blood, burial, and his resurrection. We believe with our heart that he indeed is alive forevermore. He's highly exalted, glorified by you, and appointed by you as our advocate, the one who ever lived to make intercession for us. And Father, we want to thank you for having blessed us with another day. Blessing our going out and our coming in. We give you all the glory and all the praise for the grace that you bestowed upon us, Father. And we thank you that in Christ you have bestowed upon us the gift of righteousness and declared us righteous forever. And we thank you, Father God, that you have bestowed this wonderful blessing upon us. And Father, we remain steadfast in our faith in the finished redemptive work of thy beloved Son, Jesus the Christ, with whom you are well pleased. We thank you for your word, O God. We ask your word, Father, will be so sown in our heart. The word of God will be so planted down in our heart and soul. The word will produce fruit after its kind. May your word abound and increase and multiply in us and through us to unfold the glorification and the furtherance of the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ, that we may boldly proclaim that which thy son has accomplished via his death, shed blood, burial, and resurrection. And Father, we thank you, Father God, for those who are tuned into the platform, that as we speak forth the word of God, their eyes, the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened, that they would see and behold Christ and that which he has fulfilled and accomplished for them by virtue of his resurrection from among the dead. We thank you, we praise you, and give you glory. Christ be glorified in your people, blessed, edified, and refreshed in the faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, my beloved brothers and sisters, welcome again to Final Authority. This platform is called the Final Authority because we look to the very holy word of God that was given by inspiration of God. Those scriptures that was written by the biblical apostles and prophets, we hold fast to their word. As the source being God. For we know that the Apostle Peter writes that the holy men of God spake as they were moved by 
the Holy Spirit, that the prophets of Scripture did not come by the will of man. But it was by holy men, men that were set apart, sanctified and dedicated to and for the glory of God, whom God has put his word in, who God gave revelation to speak and utter forth his word to his people. And so we now have what is called the written word of God. And so we want to look at the topic on the discussion today is the biblical accounts of the resurrection of Christ. And for a call-in number, if you have a question, or maybe you have a comment or a prayer request, the number to call in area code is 563-999-3519. To call in number for your question or comment is area code 563-999-3519. After you call the number, you're connected. You're listening to the show live. At any point in time that you're ready for your question, comment, or prayer request, just simply press the number one on your phone, and that will connect you to my producer. My producer will connect you to my live show, The Final Authority, and I'll welcome you for your question, comment, or prayer request. Also, you can tune in via uh, uh, the internet, via the computer, the website. Just simply go to loveradionetwork.com. Love radionetwork.com all right love l u v radionetwork.com and then you scroll down to final authority and you click on final authority and on the web you'll be able to tune in to hear the teachings on the show live but you won't be able to ask questions or what have you but you can ask questions when you call in okay just want to let you know so right now we're going to for the next moment of time that we have we're going to be dealing with the actual uh, biblical, biblical accounts of the resurrection of Christ. So now one thing that we did share with you already before is that we dealt with the actual, uh, there were prophetic utterances in regard to the resurrection of Christ. We pointed out to you that not only were there scriptures in the Old Testament, but Christ himself specifically and clearly with no uncertain turn gave the specific details about his crucifixion, his death, his shed blood, his broil, and his resurrection. He gave details about everything about what he was going to go through, and yet he went through it knowing what he was going to suffer. And we shared with you already knew everything and that he willingly laid his life down for us so that he can obtain a salvation and redemption that we could not attain within our own self. Because man is guilty of sin against God. He is an offender. And in God's court of law, he's guilty and will be judged and condemned as such. And there's nothing that man could do within his own ability to justify, redeem, or save himself because he is an offender and the law of God says the penalty for sin is death. Man will be condemned and judged and damned forever under the wrath of God because God, who's the righteous judge of all the earth, must show that he's righteous and that he cannot tolerate and permit sin to go on. He must condemn and punish sin. So we showed you that Jesus Christ, according to scripture, uh, Hebrews 2 and 9, where it says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, 
crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. Why? Every man have sinned. Every man is an offender. And man will be judged and condemned. Because the Bible said that the righteous, that the Excuse me, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So you know when you're doing wrong, you know you've done wrong, and you might do wrong again. But I want you to understand your sin is against God, but I want you to understand that Jesus Christ willingly laid his life down for you in your place so that you can be redeemed. He paid a price to redeem you. That means to pay a price to buy you back into a right standing with God. That you couldn't redeem yourself, you would come under God's wrath and judgment. But Jesus Christ on that cross had all of our sins placed on him. And he was judged by the Father for all of our sins. And he satisfied the judgment and wrath of God. According to the book of Ephesians, the 5 verse 2, that he loved us and gave himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Sweet-smelling savor, what does that mean? That the justice and the wrath of God was satisfied. It was like a sweet smell to God. That justice was satisfied. God condemned and punished our sins in Christ by his death and shed blood Paid your sin debt in full. It cost Christ his, his life. That, that's why he offered himself for you in your place. So that you would not come under the wrath and judgment of God. So Christ by his death and shed blood for us has turned the wrath of God away from you and I. He was buried into substantiate that the Father God accepted the sacrifice of his son for us on our behalf and turned away his wrath, he raised his son from among the dead. Christ is alive forevermore. And we showed you that he had given overwhelming evidences of the, physical, of the physicality of his resurrection from among the dead. And so we shared with you out of Luke 24, when Jesus had risen from among the dead and that he appeared to his disciples in a room that was Locked, and all of a sudden he just supernaturally appeared into the midst, and they knew that he was crucified and died on the cross three days ago, and that he was buried, and all of a sudden he just supernaturally appeared in the midst of them. And they thought it was a spirit. They did not think it was real. They thought it was an apparition or some type of spirit form. And Jesus said, peace be unto you. Why do these thoughts arise in your hearts? He said, handle me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see me have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. So why? He still bore the marks of the crucifixion in his body. We shared with you the Old Testament messianic psalm that David had predicted. He said these words, and it was the words of the Messiah, Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither will you suffer thine holy one to see corruption. What does this mean? That is saying that the very Messiah, you will not leave your holy one, that he would not see corruption. And so we see very clearly in Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, as Peter is talking about Christ and he's preaching to Israel, he said, listen, men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that David is both dead and buried and the sepulchre is with us unto this day. 
Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus has God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. What Peter is pointing out is that that Psalm of David, as recorded in Psalm 16, verse 10, you will not leave my soul in hell, neither will you suffer thy whole ones to see corruption. What he's pointing out is that if Jesus is the very Messiah that David was talking about, and that Jesus was crucified and put to death in order for God to fulfill the oath that he made to David about David's son would sit on his throne referring to the Messiah and Christ never sat on the throne during his earthly ministry if Jesus is the Messiah and y'all put him to death and his, his body would not see corruption then God would have to raise this Jesus up from the dead the third day because the body goes into corruption on the fourth day and we see Jesus himself doing his earthly ministry as recorded in Matthew chapter 20 verse 17 through 19 he said behold we go up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be betrayed into the chief priests and the elders and they will scorch him and they will turn him over to the Romans to be beaten, spit upon, and they would crucify him and put him to death, and the third day he shall rise from the dead. So Jesus gave the explicit, clear-cut details that he was going to Jerusalem and what would happen. And everything he said happened just as he said in Matthew chapter 20. We see it was clearly, specifically fulfilled in Matthew chapter 27. The exact same details actually occurred. He did that because he was going to fulfill prophecy. And so I say he rose from the dead the third day. Why? Because the Bible foretold that he would raise from the dead the third day. That's according to the scriptures. So his life, I mean, excuse me, his birth, his life, his ministry, his suffering, his crucifixion, all this was clearly foretold years and years ever before it ever occurred. And then he himself foretold it the explicit details. It happened just as he said. And when he rolled from the dead, he told his disciples, handle me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see me have. He showed them his hands and his feet. They were so excited, they still had not yet believed. And then he said, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of fish and honeycomb and he did eat before them. Why? This is showing that he rose in reality, in a physical body, because he still bore the marks of the crucifixion in his body, that same body that was crucified on that cross, that same body that died on that cross, that same body that shed all the blood, that same body was taken down and was placed in the tomb, that same body rose again from among the dead, but it rose a what? Glorified body that still had the marks of the crucifixion, showing I'm the one that died for you. I'm the one that shed all my blood for you. And when you notice in Luke chapter 24, where it says, handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see me have. He didn't say flesh and blood. Why? Because all of his blood was shed and poured out from his body on that cross for your sins to be remitted and to redeem you back to the Father. Like Peter said and recorded in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, he says, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. 
You, he said, listen, you was redeemed by the precious, the word redeem means to buy back. You see, we were sold out into sin under the powers of darkness, alienated from God, spiritually dead and trespassed and sins. And the thing was, what Christ did for us on our behalf, we're spiritually dead and couldn't save or redeem ourselves. But it was God through his love and grace and mercy provided a way for man to be saved and experience salvation and redemption. So Christ paid a price to redeem you, that is to buy you back from under the power of darkness and out of the slave market of Satan's camp. And now to bring you into a restored relationship with God, Christ paid the price. He redeemed you. Like, have you ever been to the store and you went and took some groceries off the shelf, put them in that basket, went to the counter, paid for the groceries? You redeemed it. You paid for it. You got the receipt to substantiate. Them groceries belong to you. It don't belong to the store no more. You took it off the shelf, put them in a basket, went to the counter, and paid a price for them. They rightfully belong to you now. It don't belong to the store no more. So you no longer belong to the powers of darkness. Sin no longer can claim you because you now belong to God because Christ shed his blood for you, redeemed you, and paid a price for you. And now that you came to faith and you trust in the biblical Messiah, you trust in Christ, listen, Christ has washed you from all your sins robed you in his righteousness and now the father god accepted you and declared you righteous and sealed you with the holy spirit this is not based on no religion church or mosque or temple or synagogue based on your ethnicity based upon your genealogy your bloodline or any work you can ever do everything is solely based on what christ done do you stand firm in your faith and who christ is and what he done for you so this is what we're looking at so you have to understand that when we deal with the resurrection of Christ, we have to deal with Christ's birth. We have to deal with his life, his suffering, his crucifixion, his death, and his burial. Then we can deal with the resurrection. Well, we already dealt with that already, so now we're dealing with the resurrection. This is part three on dealing with the historicity of the actual physical bodily resurrection of Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And so... And we also shared with you that even when Christ first appeared to his apostles, uh, there was one of the of disciples by the name of Thomas. He was not with them. And so Jesus Christ had gave the overwhelming, irrefutable evidences of the physicality of his resurrection. And they were so overwhelmed that they ran into Thomas and they said, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. He has risen indeed. Man, he showed us his hands and his feet. Man, not only that, man, we examined it. And so, man, he still bore the marks of the crucifixion in his body. He ate and drank. Man, we gave him a piece of fish and honeycomb. He ate. This was a real experience. This was not a hoax. This is not a hallucination. So Thomas said, well, listen, I am not going to believe. I, okay, oh, I hear what y'all saying. We run together. <coughs> I rock with y'all. But I'm not going to believe he woke from the dead unless I can put my finger in his nail prints and thrust my hand in his side. I'm not going to believe it unless I can have the evidence. So, the disciples were gathered together again eight days later. This time, Thomas was with them, and Jesus showed up, appeared in the midst. He looking at Thomas. Thomas looking at him, and Jesus said, Thomas, come here. He says, put your finger in my nail prints. Wow. Thrust your hand in my side and see that it is I. And the King James Version says, Thomas said, my Lord, my God. The Greek text reads, the Lord of me, the God of me. 
What was it that convinced Thomas was the actual historicity of the actual physical bodily resurrection of Jesus from among the dead and he gave Thomas the overwhelming evidence of the physicality of his resurrection. My brothers and my sisters, understand this. Jesus of Nazareth, the biblical Jesus, the biblical Messiah, literally rose again from among the dead. This was not some uh, allegorical resurrection. This is not some type of what they call he rose an immaterial spirit being. No, he literally, physically, bodily rose again from among the dead. Spirits not eating honeycombs and fish. Jesus ate honeycomb and fish. He ate with them several times. And then in the book of Acts of the Apostles, it tells you to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days. So for a period of 40 days after he risen from the dead, he gave them evidence upon evidence upon evidence of the physicality of his resurrection. They became so convinced and overwhelmed with all of the overwhelming, irrefutable evidences of the physicality of his resurrection, they became the most bold lions in proclaiming the resurrection of Christ. They were like bold lions, rowing the message of the gospel. And even in the face of being threatened and beat, and they were thrown in prison, and then given opportunity to deny his resurrection, they would not do it, even facing death. And they all became martyrs for proclaiming and believing and holding fast to their faith in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from among the dead. The account is so clear. He rose from the dead literally. And so the all of them became martyrs with the exception of the apostle John. He died what we believe to be a natural death, fell asleep. The others became martyrs. And so they held to the historicity of the resurrection of Christ. Now, so when you read on through um, the Acts of the Apostles, you will see very clearly every time they had an opportunity when a door of utterance was available or opened, as it were, they always proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus Christ from among the dead. And so what I want to do is I'm going to go back to actually the Apostles chapter 2, then we'll go to some other verses, and then we'll close out. In Acts 2, Peter is preaching. So you have to understand there was a supernatural phenomenon that took place in Acts of the Apostles chapter 2 when 120 disciples was in the upper room in Jerusalem. And so they're waiting for the promise of the Father. Jesus said that there's going to be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He said, but he said, I want you to wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. I will send the promise of my Father upon you. He says, you're going to receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And he says, you're going to be witnesses. He said, you're going to be witnesses. He said, so what I want you to do is wait for the whole Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit came. Peter stands up and proclaimed the message of Christ to them. Then we get to Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, verse 22. And he says, you men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. So the earthly ministry... The teaching ministry of Christ was well known throughout Israel because of the miracles and things that he was doing was so astonishing that they could not deny the notable 
overwhelming miracles that took place time and time again. And so his ministry was well known. But watch what Peter says. He says, now, this Jesus of Nazareth, whom you know, he said, listen, he was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. And so it was well known the historicity of the actual crucifixion and the death of Jesus of Nazareth on the cross. He says, listen to what he says, Jesus of Nazareth. The reason why he said Jesus of Nazareth, because Jesus, he was born in Bethlehem, but he was raised in a town called Nazareth. And so when he said Jesus of Nazareth, then he is clearly identifying what Jesus he is referring to because the name Jesus comes from the Hebrew word Yeshua. Greek would be Jesus, and so Aesus, uh, and there's a number of people by that name. But when he said Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders, then they know what Jesus he was specifically and clearly referring to. He says, you have crucified and slain. So it was known among Israel that this Jesus of Nazareth was literally crucified and that he was slain, put to death. But then he says, whom God has raised up, having loosed the pains of death. Now he said that this crucifixion and death of Christ, of this Jesus of Nazareth, this was all predetermined by the plan of God. It was all planned out by God. Now watch what he says. He says, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding up it. What is he saying? Now what is he saying is this. If this Jesus of Nazareth, was the one that was predetermined by God. And if he is the very Messiah that was foretold by the prophets, that God would raise him from the dead, if he's the one, then death can't hold him down. Death, all the Old Testament prophets and kings have died. There were great men of God from Moses to Abraham to Eli, all these, they died. Elisha, I mean, all the Ezekiel, all these men died and their body went into corruption. But he says, now, he said, it was not possible that death could hold him down. Why? Because he then says, well, David said, David speaks concerning him. So then he says, why, 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 why couldn't death hold him down? Why was it not possible that his body would see corruption? Then he quotes the prophet David. He says, for David speaks concerning him. I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he, the Lord, is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope. In hope of what? A resurrection. So it said, David speaks concerning him. I saw the Lord on my right hand. And then he says this, because you will not leave my soul in hell, neither will you suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Jesus is the holy one of Israel. He would not see corruption. Why? He would be put to death, but he would rise from the dead. Now watch this. Then Peter says in verse 29, men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he David is both dead and buried. And the sepulchre is with us unto this day. 
Therefore, being a prophet and knowing, now watch this, he was buried and the sepulchre is with us unto this day. He's dead and buried in the sepulchre. Sepulchre was a burying place where his remains were. So it says, therefore, being a prophet, David's a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he God would raise up Christ, the Messiah, to sit on his throne. Watch this. He would raise up Christ to sit on his throne? Yes. So in other words, if Jesus is this Christ, the Messiah, that David was referring to, then that would mean that God would have to raise him up from the dead to sit on his throne because Christ never sat on the throne during his earthly ministry. So when Jesus was raised up from the dead the third day, he saw no corruption because it was foretold that he would not see no corruption because the body goes into corruption on the fourth day. So to prevent that from ever happening, as foretold in scripture, to prove that Jesus is the Messiah, God raised him up from the dead. And then he says, he seeing this before, spoke of the resurrection of Christ. So he's telling the Jews that David was talking about who? The Christ, who is Jesus of Nazareth. Okay? Now, that's in chapter 2. So if we get to chapter 3, we see very clearly another account on dealing with the resurrection of Christ, where Peter and John goes up to the temple, at the hour of prayer, there was a man that was lame. He was born that way. He was in his 40s. And he was asking alms, 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 alms. You know, you give a contribution as you see people on the street asking you for money. Well, same thing back then. And so Peter said, um, you know, I don't have no money, man. I don't know silver and gold. But Peter said, but such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And Peter took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his ankle bones, his feet received strength. And the man leaped up and stood and walked and entered with Peter and John into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he who sat for arms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened. And they saw the lame man they, as he held Peter and John. All those people saw that miracle. They started running. Thought a miracle took place. And so Peter, when he saw it, Peter said, why are y'all looking so earnestly on us, John and I, as though by our own power or holiness, we made this man to walk? Now watch what Peter does. Listen to what he says. Immediately he says, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his son, Jesus whom you delivered up and you denied him in the presence of Pilate when Pilate was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and you killed the Prince of Life whom God raised from the dead whereof we are witnesses. So it's witness of what? The resurrection of Christ. So now in chapter 2, he bore witness. Now in chapter 3, he's talking about now the resurrection of Christ again. Then we get to chapter 4, and I won't go into it, but we see again another opportunity. He preached the resurrection of Christ again. The first time in Acts 2, 
3,000 came to Christ. In chapter 4, 5,000 men came after hearing the message that Peter preached about the resurrection of Christ. So, we see very clearly that Peter, look for an example in chapter 4, verse 8, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, you rulers of the people and elders, if we this day are examined of the good deed done to the man that was lame, but what means he has made whole? Okay, we'll tell you about how he's made whole. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him does this man stand whole before you. And listen what he says. Peter goes on and begins to share with them, when you read the preceding verses, about the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. It's, it's just, again, he preaches the resurrection of Christ. And then you get to chapter 5. He again talks about that around verse uh, 28. They're telling Peter and them, don't preach in the name no more. So they, they're upset because they're preaching the resurrection. They want to oppose the, the historical resurrection of Christ. But Peter says, well, this is what they said to Peter and John and to, to the apostles. Chapter 5, verse 28. Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in his name? Behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. What was the doctrine of the teachings? It was the doctrine of the teaching of the resurrection of Christ. We told you don't do it. We commanded you. Peter and the other apostles answered and said unto them, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our Father, what's this? Is? The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on the tree. Him has God highly exalted with his right hand. Again, he turns around and proclaims the resurrection of Christ again to him. He's not stopping. Why? Because the resurrection was such a reality. They couldn't deny it. For 40 days, he gave them evidence of the resurrection. Think about if you were there. And Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to you for 40 days and giving you evidence, talking with you, eating with you, and then said, listen, I'm going back to heaven. I've got to go back to be with my father. But I want you to wait in Jerusalem because I'm going to pour the spirit out upon you. The spirit come out, pour it out upon you. you feel with the spirit. There's just no way you could hold your peace and not proclaim he rose from the dead. Every one of them, with the exception of John, became martyrs. They proclaimed the resurrection of Christ because it was such a reality that it changed their life. See, understanding that when you come to true, genuine faith in the resurrection of Christ, it changes your life. How you live, how you talk, how you treat people because the resurrection of Christ is such a real historical fact of reality that it changes your life. My life has changed because, see, once I came to faith and trust in Christ, my life was changed forever from that point on. I no longer was running the streets. I no longer was robbing stores. I no longer was beating people up, taking their money. My whole life was changed. My conduct and behavior, my spirit, my mannerism, my words, how I treat people changed. And still, I'm still growing and maturing in Christ. All because I believe in his death his shed blood, his burial, and his resurrection from among the dead. Then you get over into Acts of the Apostles chapter, chapter 10. Peter is in Caesarea. He proclaims the message of Christ to the Gentiles. 
and over in Acts of the Apostles, chapter 10, he tells them about the, the earthly ministry of Christ. About, it tells them about how Christ was going about Galilee, teaching the synagogue, and preaching, and so on. And then he says, listen, he says, we are witnesses of all things which he, Jesus, did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew, they put him to death, and they hung him on the tree. The tree was actually a cross, but the cross was made from the wood of the tree. But it's called a tree here, okay? Hanged on the tree. So he was nailed to a cross, lifted up, and they're called hanging on the tree. Him, God raised up the third day and showed him openly. Not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God. And we did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. So we're talking about the actual historical fact of the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from among the dead. He's proclaiming that message even to the Gentiles. We're witnesses. All right? Y'all slew him. Y'all hanged him on a tree. He died, but he rose from the dead. All right? Then we get to, to chapter, chapter 13 where Paul is in Antioch and he's preaching to the Jews and Gentiles in Antioch. And so when you get there, chapter 13, I don't want to go through all of that, but he's uh, starting at verse 26, he's proclaiming a message to all these Jews and Gentiles and so ultimately he talked about Jesus and how the, those that were witnesses of the resurrection uh, in verse 32 he said, listen he quoted the scriptures hey, they, they took him down from the tree according to what was written, the prophecies they laid him in a sepulcher, a burial place but God raised him from the dead, that's verse 30. And he, Jesus, was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are witnesses unto the people. They came to be witnesses of what Christ uh, had accomplished by his resurrection. And so it goes on, and then he quotes scripture. The same scripture that Peter quoted in Acts chapter 2, Paul quoted also in Acts 13. That will not leave my soul in hell, neither will we suffer the whole one to see corruption. Verse 35. And then he goes on and says, in verse 37, he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. What is he saying? Listen, you got to believe on Jesus, that he's the one that died. He's the one that was buried. He's the one that rose from the dead. And by virtue of the fact that you rest your faith on his resurrection from the dead, you are justified by God. Not because of the law of Moses. You can be justified by the law of Moses. By him, all that believe. Do you believe, hold fast to his death, his burial, his resurrection? Wow. Everything is contingent upon the finished work of Christ. His death, his shed blood, his burial, his resurrection. And so now with that said, I want to go now real quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we should be finishing up in this particular chapter. So here Paul makes it very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we'll start at verse 1, okay? All right. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he, Paul here is writing to the body of believers in Corinth. And he says, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, 
which also you have received and wherein you stand. Now he says, I'm declaring unto you the gospel. Paul is writing a letter. And in the letter that he's addressing to the Corinthians, he is declaring that gospel that he had already openly, publicly, and verbally preached to them. That gospel message they received. He preached the death, the shed blood, the boil, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from among the dead. He said, that's the gospel that I preached unto you. That's the gospel you received. That's the gospel in which you stand. You stand in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Then he says, by which also you are saved. So that gospel that I preached unto you, that's the gospel that breathes, excuse me, salvation. He says, by which you also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Now, that's the gospel by which you're saved if you keep in memory. The word memory means hold fast to. What I preached unto you. What did he preach? Well, he tell you in verse 3 and 4. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Now, Notice that Paul said, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. That which I received. What did he receive? He received the gospel. Where did Paul receive this uh, gospel message from? Well, when you read in Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, Paul tells you where he got that gospel from. He said, I certify you, brothers, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after men, for I neither received it of men, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. So that gospel message that Paul delivered to the Corinthians, he wasn't taught this by man. He got this gospel by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Christ supernaturally revealed that gospel of Christ to the Apostle Paul. So the gospel of Christ consists of the death of Christ for our sins, his burial, and his resurrection. So there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, that is what is called a the gospel message in a nutshell. So Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, for us, our sins in our place. He's the one that suffered under the judgment and wrath of God for our sins. Watch this. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. Why does it say the third day? Because we're looking at the fact that, again, this was foretold in scripture. His body would not see corruption. And so all his whole birth, his whole life, his suffering, everything, crucifixion, shed blood, burial, all that was clearly foretold. And he came here so that he can pay, take our place, satisfy our judgment for us in our place under the wrath and judgment of God so that we could be redeemed. This is a blessing. Standing firm in your faith, steadfast and unmovable in what Christ fulfilled and accomplished via his death, shed blood, burial, and resurrection. So he says, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas. When he says, and that, after he rose from the dead, he was seen of Cephas, we're dealing with was called the post-resurrection appearances of Christ. Post, after. So after his death, he appeared to a number of people. 
so all these witnesses can give testimony of their experience of communicating and having time with Christ after he had risen from among the dead. He was seen as Cephas, then of the twelve, the other apostles. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once. Not counting the men and the children. Excuse me, not counting the women and the children. He was seen not only as Cephas, then of the twelve. He also was seen of above. We don't know how many. It was above 500. So it wasn't 500. It was above 500. The number above the 500, I don't know. It didn't say. So you got all these witnesses that can give their testimony concerning the actual bodily resurrection of Christ from among the dead. It says after he was seen of the 12, then he was seen of 500 brethren at once, over above 500 brothers, and after that he was seen of James. Then of, James was his half-brother. And, and then of all the apostles. So all the apostles. Then he says, and last of all, he was seen of me also. Mm. You can't get around it. The evidence and the witnesses of the resurrection of Christ. Then he says, for I am the least of the apostles, and I'm not fit or suitable to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but Christ, excuse me, but the grace of God was with me. What is he saying? He said, listen, I'm not even fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He said, but listen, I am what I am because of God's grace. He says, and the grace of God was bestowed upon me. And I even labored more than all the other apostles. Yet it was not me. It was the grace of God which was bestowed upon me. What he said? Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Whether it was I or the other apostles, so we preach and you believed. What they preach? The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Would you believe? The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. That's the gospel by which you are saved, standing firm in your faith in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Now watch what he says in verse 12. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection? Who would even have the audacity to come up in this body of believers and say that there is no resurrection? That when you die, that's it, nothing else beyond the death of the physical body. Paul says, wait a minute. If Christ is preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection? That's a problem. Because the gospel consists of the death, the boy, and the resurrection. So watch what he says. Well, if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. If there's no resurrection. And if Christ is not risen, then is our preaching vain, 
and your faith is also vain, and we have found false witnesses of God because we have testified that God raised up Christ from the dead, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. And if the dead rise not, then it's not Christ. Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, then your faith is vain and you are yet in your sins. So what is he saying? If Christ did not rise from the dead, and we've been preaching that he rose from the dead, and we testified that God raised him from the dead, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. So we've been saying God raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, because there's no, no resurrection. And if there's no resurrection, then wait a minute, your faith is vain, useless, futile. He says, not only that, and you are yet in your sins. So if Christ had not risen, then you yet in your sins, man, you are all under condemnation. What are you pointing out here? The historicity of the actual resurrection of Christ, that anyone who comes with another message that goes against the historicity of the actual crucifixion, the death, the birth, and the bodily resurrection of Christ from among the dead, away from them. No, he rolled from the dead. So our salvation and redemption solely contingent upon the death, the shed blood, the birth, and the resurrection of Christ. Very important that we understand the, the doctrine and account of the actual resurrection of Christ from the dead. As Paul says, Christ was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. As Paul said, the word is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Wow. And it shows you, in fact, and when you're dealing with, with the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 10, uh, he says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Why? Wow, salvation is solely contingent upon the actual, not only the death, not only the, the shed blood, not only the birth, but the resurrection. Why? Because the resurrection of Christ is substantiate that not only is he the son of God, not only does the back all his claims, but a substantiate that God the Father has accepted what the son fulfilled and accomplished for you in your place on your behalf, that he verified it by raising his son from the dead. Wow. And so it substantiates that you are forgiven and redeemed. Oh, I'm saved, I'm redeemed, and I'm declared righteous. Not because of any work or merit that I've done. I can't earn this nor deserve this. This is all a grace gift given by God through my faith in Christ. And the faith I have came from God. I, I, I can't even muster it up. It comes through the hearing of the gospel. So Paul goes on and says in Romans chapter 10, he says, for with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We're talking about the fact that you believe in what? His death, his birth, his resurrection. That you, because you believe it, it results in your making an open confession, an agreement. All this results is unto salvation. The Bible tells you in Romans chapter 10, verse 
12. There is no difference between Jew and Greek. The same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. God is rich unto you, no matter your ethnicity, no matter your genealogy, your bloodline, your gender, your, 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 your status. That has nothing to do with it. Do you hear the gospel? Do you believe the gospel? Do you believe in the death, the shed blood, the birth, and the resurrection of the biblical Messiah, Jesus the Christ? This is what we stand on. There's, there's no compromise. This is your salvation. And see, here's the thing. The, the portions of this you'll see very clearly, again, in the book of Acts, they always proclaim the resurrection of Christ. Oh, how his resurrection is so crucial, impertinent. So again, one of my favorite passages is uh, Romans chapter uh, uh, 4, verse 25, chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. And here it is. Christ was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. You have to hold to the physical resurrection of Christ from among the dead. So he rose again for our justification. Therefore, being justified by faith, what? That he was delivered from our offenses and was raised again from our justification. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this peace now that I have with God is through Jesus Christ. It's not through Buddha, Krishna, Muhammad. It's not through Maharaji. It's not through your religious work, your deeds, your merit, through, through Moses, through the prophets. It's through Jesus Christ. They, the, the prophets of old pointed to the Messiah. And so it's through what Jesus Christ has done. Why? He's the one and only one whom the Father God sent to offer up himself as an offering and a sacrifice to God on your behalf that God accepted. So now because of what Christ done and his resurrection, God accepts you because of your faith in Christ. Nothing else. It's only his resurrection. And this is what make Christ, Jesus, the biblical Messiah, so far more unique than any human, uh, a religious leader, king in human history. He's the only one that risen from among the dead for your justification. He's the only one that God, the Father, excuse me, has highly exalted and glorified and said, sit on my right hand, son, and made him the head of the church, which is his body. Like Peter said, that we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without spot or blemish. He was perfect in all his ways, totally, completely, flawless, never sinned in thought, word or deed, willingly laid his life down for you and I as a sacrifice and an offering so that he can be judged for us in our place. What a wonderful Savior we have. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, my brothers and sisters. And as Paul closes out in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul tells them, after he laid out the resurrection and the overwhelming uh, witnesses of the resurrection, the evidence of the resurrection was so clear and so uh, substantiated, he tells them, therefore, my beloved brethren, in verse 58, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Listen, my brothers and sisters, you're to be steadfast and unmovable. 
Let no one come among you and deny the historicity of the bodily resurrection of Christ from the dead. Be steadfast. Don't be moved by nothing else. Unmovable, always abounding in what? The work of the Lord. The work of the Lord. Yes, that's your labor. You're laboring and proclaiming Christ and him crucified, the message of the gospel. My brothers and sisters, I exhort you, I encourage you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, under the banner of his blood, under the banner of his name, stand up, be accounted for, proclaim the message of the gospel of the biblical Messiah. As Paul said, listen, the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Yes, he was crucified. Yes, he died. Yes, his blood was shed. Yes, he was buried. And yes, he rose from the dead the third day. Do you believe in the true gospel message that this salvation that God offers you is all by God's grace through faith in Christ? Paul lays it out very clearly in Ephesians 2 and 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Nobody can boast. It's all by God's grace. With Christ done, fulfilled, and accomplished for you on that cross, there's no way to get around it. Jesus is Lord, substantiated by his resurrection. So he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, wherefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things on earth and under earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I stand on it, my brothers and my sisters. Stand on it. Don't let no one persuade you away with another gospel denying the sufficiency of the finished work of Christ. Your salvation redemption is solely based upon his death, his shed blood, his burial, and his resurrection. He's alive forevermore. God bless you, my brothers and sisters. We'll see you next week. And next time, until then, stand firm in your faith in the biblical Messiah. God's word is God's final authority. God bless you. See you next time.